Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 16 of the 24 Stories podcast. And actually, because it is season two, it means that it's actually our 40th episode, because if I'm writing my maths, there's 24 in the first and 16 so far in the second one, so it's the 40th one. And um, I'm delighted that this time we're going to be looking at the whole area of the the big screen and the small screen and, and a lot of other stuff in between as well. I'm delighted to be joined by Hilary Rose. Welcome to the podcast, Hilary. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. So... A lot of people will be familiar for, from you being on the TV and mm-hmm. shows like The Young Offenders, uh, Smother, those type of shows. Mm-hmm. But I think the first time I came across you, <laughs> you weren't on television. And if I'm right in saying you were a DJ. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like I've worked in media a very long time yeah. in many different shape-shifting ways. Yeah. So I would have started out DJing at the age of 17, actually. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So I would have um, been one of those clubbers in Cork City that, yeah. you know, idolised, you know, DJs at that time. You were like, in yeah. Henry's and stuff like that I as well. I was in Henry's. Yeah. I was one of those ones. And just thought, yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to go at that point. So I DJed for years, for years and years and years in clubs all across the country, festivals all across the country. And I loved it. It was great. I did a stint on, let me think, what's it called? RT Radio, their dance. Oh, Um, was it Pulse or something like that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did that for a while. And of course, Radio Friendly, when Radio Friendly was in Cork. Did you have a slot on that? You did? I did. Saturday afternoon, 12 to 3, myself and my DJ partner, Katie, we had our, we had our slot. So, so yeah, it's a long time. I remember it was was before, it was Stevie or Greg and Shane or something on after you? I think so. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 The good days before. I suppose commercialisation of radio stations. Yeah. Cork had only one at the time with ninety six FM, and then of course the license came up for grabs, and that's Red right. FM came on. Yeah, but Radio Friendly was big. It was big, and it was great, and it gave us a lot of kind of creative freedom at that mm. time. And it was, it felt like there was a real melting pot of stuff happening in Cork City at that time. Um, so it was yeah. kind of like I, I spoke to Stevie about this in, in the first series, and uh, was it kind of like its own version of social media back then? Do you know, you're not far wrong, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, this was before social media yeah. kicked off. So and then that feels like a whole other lifetime as well in itself. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it felt like there was a connection, like there was channels of connection that were that were built, that came through, you know, clubbing and DJing yeah. and radio friendly that, you know, I mean, I'm happy that we didn't have social media back yeah, in those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of pictures and videos yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sure people were texting in and ye were you were the voice, you were amplifying individuals' voices about their night before or what was happening that night or whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the text that, uh, you know, that we used to get in and the stories that we would get in and we'd go, okay, can we say that? Can we say that? Yeah, we'll yeah. say it. Because yeah. we could actually as well because there was nobody really regulating that channel in a sense. Of course, no, no. Um, so it was, it was up to our discretion to say and play what we wanted to do. It was brilliant. It was a great time. And there was a lot of talent on, on air at that time. So it was a great, it was like a... It's like an apprenticeship for people who wanted to continue on into that Absolutely. industry. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. And a lot of people did continue into, like, I suppose, further into the mm. industry. And then others went off and did something completely different. But mm. I really feel like that it was, um, yeah, kind of a formative time for a lot of people, you know. And what kind of music did you play at the time? Was it hip hop, R&B or something? Was it, it was hip hop and R&B. And then I went and played a little bit of house after that. And yeah. then I came back to hip hop again. I still have, I still have that in the, I still have all my vinyl, actually. Oh. In, in in the attic or somewhere, or, in, you, or you in, take it out? No, it's in the attic, but it needs to come out before it starts melting in the attic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, DJ, what what brought an end to the DJ career? Was it just that you just want to try something different? Uh, no. So I suppose, like in the back of my mind, acting was what I always wanted to do, even though I was DJing. Yeah. So I went back to college and I trained as an actor and graduated from that. And really DJing was kind of what supported me through all of that financially, as well as everything else and creatively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I went on to become an actor and then, you know, got some roles and I built it up from there and built it up from there, knowing really that DJing would come to an end for me that I want I didn't want to DJ for the rest of my life It's a hard career I'd imagine anyway unsociable hours in terms of you're always you know at the weekends and Exactly and as an actor 
you know, you're getting up at 6am. As a DJ, you're going to bed at 6am. Yeah. So that was never going to work. You know what I mean? And then obviously when I started a family with my husband, I was like, no, that's it. So actually my last gig was when I was, I think, five months pregnant with my son, which is really cute that he yeah. was he was there at my last gig. He probably uh, has natural rhythm inside him because he's listened to all the tunes and stuff yeah, they say that yeah. babies can hear inside you. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. That, that was actually why she, you know, my um, uh, doctor at the time was like, look, you know, his little ears are forming now, so yeah, you need to stop yeah. with the, the yeah. very loud gigs and the loud music. And, you know, I was ready at that point, five months pregnant, I was ready yeah. to give up DJing. So that was it. That was it. And where did you study acting? Uh, so I initially went to Clóis Stefan Nefa out mm. in, in Cork and then I moved from there into the Gaiety in Dublin yeah. um, and did a stint there. And I trained with a few other people in between. The, um, it, was, it, was a f- it was a funny time for actors in Ireland training wise because there wasn't an awful lot on offer. Yeah. Um, so the actors that had kind of come before me essentially had either gone to RADA in the UK yeah. Or they had just made it on their own, or they had done a little bit through the gate here. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, so now there's amazing uh, courses offered for young actors or for people, you know, wanting to pursue that career, and they're offered all over the country, which is fantastic. So, but yeah, it was different at that time. Yeah. And did you go into kind of plays and stuff, or was it straight into TV, or like how, what happens when you graduate? Then are you kind of what do we do next? Yeah, so I mean, every every I always feel like every actor's blueprint is very different. That's mm-hmm. what's interesting about that career is that you, you know, for example, if you trained in law, you would you know get an apprenticeship yeah. and da 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 da. You know, so it's it's quite a set blueprint essentially. As an actor, that doesn't happen. You graduate and you're like. Oh my God, what do I do? You know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yes, I went into theatre for a bit, and theatre is the kind of most accessible and first step mm. for actors, really. Um, so, I went into theatre and did that for a bit, but then I started to get breaks in TV just through connections. And yeah. I ended up being branded this comedy actor. I don't like, it was never really, it was, it's a weird thing. I was never really my intention to be a, a comedy actor. You didn't do stand up or anything? No, I did it once just because. When I went into comedy as an actor, everybody's like, oh my God, you're hilarious. You need to do, you know, stand up and there's not enough female stands ups and da da da. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe I do. Okay, well, so I went and did stand up and I went, no, thank you. This is not for me. Totally different. (laughs) It's totally different. It's not for me. And I have full respect for stand ups that, that, you know, do it for years and years and years and end. I think it's amazing. Um, but but really, my heart was always in kind of dramatic acting, even though I got my break as a comedic actor. Yeah. And I think Young Offenders did that. Yeah. The Young Offenders then kind of switched it for me in the sense that my role in The Young Offenders, yes, it was an out and out comedy, but my role was actually the dramatic role. Yeah, I get you. You yeah. know, like my, my character was the character that anchored in all the heart. Yeah. I always laugh and say yeah. that the lads spent their time laughing on set. I spent my time cry- crying on set, you yeah. know, because she was always the heart and soul of the family. So that was where it kind of shifted for me into more dramatic roles. And that was what I always wanted. So so you wanted to be taken as a kind of a serious actor from the beginning rather than this kind of comic. Yeah, I guess. And I think like as an actor as well, and I always say this, you have to have flexibility. Mm. So uh, not that you have to, it's more beneficial to have yeah. flexibility. So not every actor can do comedy. Yeah. Most actors can do drama. Yeah. But they only some of them can do comedy. Yeah. Most, most actors who do comedy can also do drama. That's just what I've witnessed. And some of them actually end up being the top actors and actresses in the world, don't they? Because if 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 you look at, like, over the years, people who have transformed, I'm thinking Steve Carell, for example, mm. who no one would have taken serious, let's mm. be honest. Mm. Um, even Will Ferrell has done a bit of it in recent times as well. Mm. You know, like, you know, Reese Witherspoon as well. You know, like, Absolutely. they would have been very kind of the joke, no one took them serious in Hollywood and all of a sudden they're playing the, the most serious roles you can have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like for comedy actors, I think that there's, um, and I'm speaking about it from like my own personal experience, yeah. it's kind of like, uh, this is going to sound egotistical, but I don't might mean it to, but it's like, it's like they're slightly underrated. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where I've seen some comedic actors who I just think are phenomenal yeah. and I've seen them in action. Phenomenal. Amazing. Like, you know, um, but it, I mean, and that's that's when I talk about the flexibility 
you have as an actor then, you know, it's uh, it's it's a really interesting position to find find yourself in. Is a lot of it that they're quite good naturally at improv and stuff, which which helps even with serious roles? I think so. Like I spent, before I stepped into The Young Offenders, I spent about three years doing Hidden Camera, which is all improvisation. That was the fear, wasn't it? That was the fear. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's all improvisation. That that really honed my skills as an improviser. Um, and I think, again, improvisation allows flexibility. You're yeah. not rigid yeah. in a structure. You're not rigid in a storyline. You're not rigid in a way of doing things. Yeah. So when we did The Young Offenders, most of it was improvised. Yeah. So that's what's yeah. the film in particular. There was a lot of improvisation, and then when it came to um, the series, you know, we'd have whole scenes that we did, yeah. and then we go at the end of it. Okay, let's improvise the scene now. And yeah. you know, more often than not, it was the improvised scene that was the one that was kept and made the screen. So it's really into improvisation. If you can feel, if you feel confident in it, yeah, um, it allows a flow and it allows opportunity and it allows. Um, it cracks it all open. Yeah, you yeah. know, it cracks open a script. It cracks cracks open a scene, and it allows for gold to come in. You know, we got some comedic gold and some dramatic gold as well out of improvised scenes. And like, if we go back to the fear, you're dealing with general public there, so you don't really know what their reaction's going to be. Yeah. So, <laughs> how did you like? You must have had situations where people were. Angry as well, like, did you? Like, yeah. like, like, what happens then? Yeah, I always say when I look back at the fear, this is this is why I really felt it really honed my skills as yeah. a performer because I would go out on the street yeah. dressed as a lunatic, yeah. right, more often than not. Yeah. Um, I would have to approach complete strangers yeah. and I would have to engage in a scene, inverted commas. That they didn't know they were really part of. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I had a whole script yeah. In my mind, <laughs> as to what they were supposed to do, yeah. I had things that I needed them to do for it to work. I had things that I needed them to say for it to work, but yeah. they didn't even know they were in a scene. And as well as that, you know, once you step out onto the street, your camera and your crew disappear. So it's just you. Wow. Engaging with somebody who doesn't even know they're in a scene. And where are they in the hedge or something? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, they were everywhere. <laughs> they were everywhere. You'd yeah. have like I'd have a little. I ha- used to have you know cameras mounted on me in my yeah. costume. Yeah. But then inevitably, there was like three, four cameras, like GoPros, you know, mounted somewhere, or yeah. you know, ca- camera guys, you know, poking out of like you said hedges or in shop windows. Yeah. You know, I think I remember seeing you as a nun in it or something like that. And like, <laughs> yeah. I think that's when I figured out she used to be a DJ. <laughs> that was and now like, look at her she's dressed as a nun <laughs> like, like that must be it must be brilliant though to play it, something like that and see someone's reaction and you know it's great and you know what I met some actually amazing people on the street that yeah. really just were so genuine and so brilliant Yeah. Uh, and then some people were ha- not having good days which you have to respect yeah. that as well you yeah. know are not in a good place so it was and again that was very interesting for me um, reading people yeah, you know who do I approach? Who do I not approach? Mm. It was a really interesting time for me to learn that. Um, sometimes I learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, you can get a sense when people is it eye contact if they don't look at you, if their head is head is down, you stay away. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, or it's um, how do I even explain it? I suppose reading the energetics of them. Are they having a bad day? Are they having mm. a good day? Are they approachable? Are they not? Is there something? going on in their life that is weighing heavy on them. Not that you can see all of those things, but you know, you can sense them sometimes, yeah. you know, whether you can approach somebody or not. So. Body language plays up yeah. massive in anything, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So when the fear kind of came to a close, then you did about three seasons of that, was it? It's actually four was seasons. It four? Yeah, yeah. What happened next then? Are you, are you looking for your next gig at that point then? Or? We went straight into the Young Offenders film after that. So we... Because we had we had four it's the same se- team, um, some of the same team. I'm trying to remember; it's been so long ago now. Yeah, but we had a couple of crew members. Yeah, that graduated. Not to say graduated, but like we'd finished doing the fear, and then we said, "Oh, we've got a bit of free time. Yeah, let's let's do the film." Yeah. So some some of them came with us and did the film. Big um, difference, though, between a TV show and a film. Yeah, big time. Yeah. 
and it kind of a re- it's not a reality it's kind of a reality show because there's real people in it yeah, yeah. into completely drama. scripted drama yeah, yeah 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 exactly but I think a lot of those people wanted to make the leap into film as well so they were they really wanted to do it you yeah. know yeah, and it was done on complete budget, like shoestring stuff. Wasn't yeah, it? it really was. Really was. Um, it was self-funded, really. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was a big leap of faith. You know, it was a big leap of faith to do that. But I think, I, you know, there was a vision, and sometimes you just got to stick to your vision. You know. When you completed that, uh, I suppose the film. Mm. Like, when did you get a feel that this was going to be a success? Did it, like was it while you were filming, or was it afterwards, or? Do you know what? When we were filming it, every day felt like a good day. Okay. And every time that we finished a scene or finished a day filming, it felt like, it felt, oh, we got good stuff. Yeah. And moving past that, when it was shaping up into the film, when we started looking at the cuts, we were going, God, I think we we really have something here. You know, there was never a sense of, oh God, we didn't make something good. Mm. We we knew we made something good. Mm. And... Whether or not it was going to do what it did and be as successful as it was and continues to be, we yeah. had no idea. But we were really happy with what we made and we were really proud of, of what we made. Yeah. So by the end of it, we were like, this is amazing. We, we, we were really proud of it. Yeah. And we knew we could stand over the work. And then everything else just happened as it happens on and, the back of that. And then you just had to promote it. and Yeah. Yeah. The distribution company had to really push it. It was obviously small, a small film, so you had to get yeah. people on board. And yeah, and we had a really good support network for that as well. Wild uh, Wildcard Distribution, they came on board very early, actually. Yeah. Um, they saw snippets of the film being cut together, and I remember them <laughs> turning around and saying, "Don't show this to anybody else. I want this." Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. when we when we when we got that, we we're like, "Okay, yeah." It's not just us imagining this is good. Yeah. We know this is good. So. And I, I remember, I forget the guy's name, but the, the wild card, because I, I was, um, the head of marketing over the film at the time. And I remember they came in and they pitched this idea to us about the young offenders. And we were like, yeah, this could be hyped up. No, it's more of it. But um, yeah. Brendan Burke from Sonic Surgery was, I think he involved in some capacity of filming at some stage. And he was saying, oh, it's brilliant. You need to, this is going to be well, really, really big. And we were like, okay, we we'll give it a go or whatever and um we did the, the premiere night then down in Mahan yeah. Point and the Omniplex. Yes, that and, was amazing. And I was saying to Judy when she was on the podcast, I was saying, I just could not get over the reaction of the crow that night. Yeah. I've never seen it to an Irish film like that, but I think it was just people it was a Cork audience and they were like, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is funny, but it's actually because sometimes you're expecting going into a show like that that it's going to be, you know, cringeworthy or something. Yeah, or you're like, okay, we'll just show up and show face and mm-hmm. you know say, okay, well done for doing it. But yeah, no, there was a yeah. real buzz that night. I remember that clearly. It was brilliant. It was just, you it know, was just there was a hype and and it kind of continued. And I think it stayed in the cinema for ages, did it? It beat Star Wars in Man Point. Did it? It did. That's one of our little things. Brilliant. Yeah, it beats Star Wars. So this tiny little film from Cork beats Star Wars, particularly in Mahon Point. It's, it was the longest run at Mahon Point has ever had, I think. Whoa. There are big screens, that IMAX or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, that there. You know, there's a couple of hundred people that can fit in there. Yeah. And then it, it it went on and on from there. It spread nationwide and then it went on Netflix and Netflix changed it all again. It opened it up again to an international audience, you know. So you kind of did it the opposite way around then. Like, usually... TV shows become films. <laughs> yeah. How did a film end up becoming a TV show? Yes. So we have amazing agents in the UK. They're Casarotto. They're yeah. filmmakers agents. And they just started introducing us to people yeah. in the UK and introducing us to broadcasters in particular. So, yeah. you know, meetings with BBC, meetings with Sky, uh, all the production companies in the UK. And we did that for quite a while. And then we met with BBC Three. And BBC Three were like, this would be a great series. And we were like, well, okay. Yeah. And the second they said it, we went, and and actually, I remember when we were filming the film, thinking, I'd love to, it would be really interesting to explore all these characters a lot deeper. Because Mm. they are, they were all, were complex characters. And the second BBC Three said, you you know, would you think about a series of this because the world was so established in the film. Yeah. And that's sometimes very hard to do, yeah. is to establish a world and have such strong characters in it. But it was already done. Yeah. And they could see the potential in that. And yeah. then we went, okay, yeah, 
let's do that. So we did series one with them. And that was kind of a small series, was it? It was a couple of episodes and that compared to the six. other. Yeah. No, they were all, they were all six. Oh, were they all six? Every season was six. Yeah. 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 Uh, it feels like there's more. It feels like there's way more, actually. But do you yeah. know, it's like Father Ted, because they've been on repeat. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah true. It's only like, yeah. how many? And one? then you forget that you that's the first series. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, because they're always on repeat. They're always on yeah. RT or whatever. So you feel like there's a ton. Yeah. But there's not. There's three seasons of six episodes each. Um, And you yeah. went filming. Yeah. And then you started introducing new characters. And I suppose, you know, mm. that, that created a whole like little mini world within it. And yeah. I think the world really became established very much so in the series then, um, which was great. and It was lovely to be able to explore all of that, you know. And, and it was interesting that you mentioned Father Ted because it kind of reminded me of that because oh, my father Ted came out when I was a teenager and yeah. I remember there was the the Christmas special and he did a Christmas special as well, which That's is right. not many shows get to do those type of things. Yeah, that was a real honour actually for us in the within the BBC because at that time, like so we did it with BBC Three and BBC Three was seen and still is as a feeder channel into BBC One. Okay, yeah. That's how they operate. Yeah. They commission shows, they test them. Like we, at, the, at that time as well, I think it was by the end of the season three or I can't quite remember, they were launching their BBC player. Oh yeah. And Young Offenders series went on that and we became the most played series that year. So, yeah, that's massive in the UK, you know, it was us and it was RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. Um, So it was a great honour then for us to be given the Christmas special because they they choose. Which show gets the Christmas special. And we got it that year. So that was cool. And did you also end up on um, BBC One on a Friday night then as well? Yes. So they feed into BBC One after that. So it ends up, I think, repeating. I can't remember. I think it's repeated on BBC One. Yeah. You're putting my memory to the test here. <laughs> yeah, because I remember thinking it's like a cork fest here or something on BBC One. Like, first of all, Graham Norton is <laughs> on. Right. Yeah. And then the young offenders were taking over. All their shorts as matched today with Roy Keane taking on board. Or something. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you know, like, it's like it was brilliant. And, and, you know, some people, like, at the time, there was a lot of people criticised its depiction of some parts of the city. But then I actually thought it was a great showcase as for the city I agree I thought it was wonderful and we we filmed in amazing places in the city um, all over the city and we filmed in you know like massive shout out to Ballandary you know up yeah. in Mayfield Ballandary yeah. Park they were amazing people yeah and are and a real sense of community actually and Terence McSweeney Community College as well I'd say was yeah, it? yeah they were yeah. so brilliant yeah. they were so brilliant and so. was some of their students in that then or I, I know you did some been. stuff in Creasery or something as well the G or God you're really testing me now I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah but most of it was up in Terence McSweeney and like we were welcomed with open arms we were really grateful for that mm. really mm. really grateful and you know I have to give a shout out to Pat as well in the English market Pat O'Connell I mean, he he from from the get go he was just like you're making a film, no bother. He like he opened up on Sundays for us, you know, when the market was shut. He so was, that you could film. He brought his staff in. Yeah. He set out his counter. Brilliant. On a Sunday, and he was like, "Off you go." He was amazing. So we're very grateful for. And did for, you become a fishmonger by like? Did you have to learn the trade? <laughs> now Pat would say that I'm not good at it, and he's dead right. But he did give me his filleting knife, and he did teach me how to fillet a fish. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I am grateful for that too. <laughs> and like, as the show began, began to become popular and stuff like that, then like, were people stopping you in the street? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I always say to the lads, you know, because the lads had the haircuts. Yeah. So they've grown their hair out. They look completely different. Yeah. But I look the same because I didn't have those haircuts. You know what I mean? So I kind of look the same, really. I was roughed up a bit for that. And was there a lot of selfies and stuff like that happening? Was there still every day? So. Crazy, and yeah. and was it just in Cork or elsewhere? Elsewhere, like I mean, I'd be in London Underground. Yeah, and and so so like if it, it feels when you when I'm in Cork, it feels it's just Cork. Yeah, but it's not really. Like I go to the UK and 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 it happens over there, and I go, oh my goodness, yeah, I sure I forget it was on BBC. Yeah, you know, yeah, it just feels like because I haven't left Cork, so. <laughs> and it, it, to me, it seemed like finished, but like there was no finale. So like what. Is it kind of being left open to come back at some point or, or, or what? Yeah, you know, I think all of us would love to come back at some point. I think we'd yeah. all have to be, like we all wanted a break and we all wanted to go and do our own things. And yeah. then we had the pandemic, obviously, which really yeah. hindered a lot yeah. of productions as well. Um, but yeah, I think everybody has to want to come back and, and do it. 
But yeah, yeah, it's always open. And it was interesting, actually, before the pandemic, I remember we, the last big snowstorm we had, I think it was Storm Emma, and year season, I think it might have been season two or three at that stage. Mm-hmm. And everyone was told stay in home and I think the Young Offenders was the top watch show on RT for that's the week right. or something like Made that a captive audience that brilliant. week like brilliant yeah. like yeah that's, you know, you're right actually yeah you yeah. know so it's you know it's brilliant that things like that happen and you know something's aligned you know yeah absolutely absolutely so when the Young Offenders was finished in what was the next thing for you then after that was it was a smother was it or was there something else yeah no I actually went on to Amy Huberman's Finding Joy oh yes I did season two of that that was so lovely such a great gig yeah Amy's yeah. Amy's lovely um, yeah Amy's really really sweet so I did that and then then it was smother yeah so I did two seasons of smother their third season is actually on air now yeah yeah. Uh, I did two seasons of that and a few of the little bits in between and then I just wanted to kind of do my own stuff that's yeah. kind of where I felt at the end of at the end of 2019 and I suppose that loads changed within the pandemic as well and mm. and yeah I felt like I wanted to to start doing my own thing. And in all that time you were lecturing as well were you? So yeah. that started before young offenders Oh I presume, yeah, was it? I am lecturing the last 8 years I think. Yeah, over in College of um School of Music. I was yeah. going to say College of Commerce. I'm not there. Don't no. don't go oh, looking for me there. I'm not there. <laughs> I'm in the School of Music. The school of Music. It's in the same location. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're looking across the water at each other, but I'm not in the College of Commerce. Uh, yeah, so I, I lecture there one day a week and it's it's great. It's really wonderful. Never, ever, 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 ever saw myself as a lecturer. It was, a, again, one of these kind of um, weird serendipitous things that just happened. It was a job that was literally handed to me and I went, Okay, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Yeah, all right, whatever, you know, went with the flow. And, and because of your fame and stuff then, you know, with young offenders, when you see students come in, is there that kind of like, do you see, there's like little whispers at the start, do you know when, oh, yeah, yeah. do you get that? At the, yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, oh my God. But they know when they look up the curriculum, they know who their know. lecturer is anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that they're going to probably have to get used to anyway as they go through life in this industry that, you know, if if they want to stay an actor, you know, they're going to meet a lot of people that they know off the screen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're just normal people. So then you started writing blogs. Yeah, so that was, so I created the brand, I suppose, in the blog of Live Wild, Mm -hmm. um, really during the, it was 2020, during the pandemic. I really wanted to do something and there was loads of exploration happening within myself at the time. So the blog was just a kind of, it really only started for me. It was really just for me. And it was just like uh, an exploration or a documentation of the Mm. exploration of what I was kind of going through. Um, And then it actually got a bit of traction and people were like, oh, this is amazing because people were looking for something more at that time, something deeper and something deeper within themselves, but also looking for different avenues in their own life and looking for, um, there was a big search, I think, for everybody. Mm. And the blog became a reflection of that. So everybody that I spoke to or that saw it was like, oh my God, you know, people really want this content, but I think you should do it as a podcast. Yeah. And I kind of went, yeah, okay. I'd never, again, I'd never seen myself as a podcaster. I was like, yeah, just didn't. But but it kept on leading me that way. But it kind of naturally happened. So like in a lot yeah. of other things. But 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 then again, you had been on radio. Yes, you see, so and you I had were, been a DJ. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I was coming back to that or using that skill set. Full circle, kind of. Yeah. 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 So that was what was really interesting that I was coming back full circle. I was using that skill set that I had, you know, honed. Not I wouldn't say honed, but had yeah, you know learned yeah, yeah. many many years yeah. before. And again, it gave me creative control over my content and what I wanted to say and how I wanted to express it. And that's what I found really interesting because you have to remember as an actor, you get given lines, Mm. you show up, you say your lines, you do your job, which Mm. is all wonderful and a wonderful process. But then all of that is taken and it's brought brought into the editing room and an editor puts their version and their polish on it and a director puts their version and their polish on it as well. So what you actually bring to the table is changes quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. And all of that is positive. It's not a negative thing. Yeah. Um, but I felt that, um, I don't know, there was just a longing within me just to do my own work, you know. And is a podcast a bit like theatre in that it's a bit more that rawness, like, you know? Possibly, yeah. You know, so it's that live element. Obviously, of course, you can edit it and there's plenty of people out there that do edit. Yeah. Really cut everything down, mm. probably it's half the show that it started or whatever. Yeah. 
Not in this one, by the way, anyone listening is entirely edited. <laughs> Elaine only takes out the odd bit or two, but um, yeah, but, but your one isn't. It's not. So so, so the blog graduated from the, being the blog into the podcast. So it's called the Live Wild podcast mm. and it's not edited at all. Um, unless there's a big blooper, like someone's headphone falls off. Even at that, I don't even edit that, you know. Yeah. Because um, you could probably have a laugh off of that as well. Exactly. Yeah, and I, like and it's nice, like the way you and I are even having yeah. a conversation. It's a very natural flow. It's, there's no structure. Mm. Obviously, there's a structure that I've prepared. Yeah. But it's very natural flowing conversation. So that's what I find really interesting about the podcast is, you know, I talk to people like Joanne McNally or Jenny Green or... Yeah. You know, Fergal McNamara, who's a former um, big wave pro surfer turned regenerative farmer. And I'm really interested about their journeys. Yeah. You know, so that's the theme of the podcast is like living wild and free. So living outside of the boundaries of society, in a sense, they're living and thinking outside the box and their careers are informative of that. So I wanted the conversation to flow that way as well. Inspired by your own life, really, in many ways. I suppose. If you look like... You didn't set out to be, you know, a TV star and maybe you were interested in acting, but it didn't happen just like straight away. You went straight into it. It kind of happened bit by bit, by bit organically. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I just had to follow the nuggets, you know, follow the little golden thread and see where it takes you. And that's what's really interesting. That's what I find interesting. And I love people's stories mm-hmm. about how they get from A to B to C to D, you know, and what, the you know, A will inform B. Yeah. And B will inform C. It's and like your own story as well. And the people that they meet along the way. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, because yeah. um, we we were chatting earlier on before the podcast, we were talking about this idea of, you know, lecturing and lecturing is a bit like performance as well. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. You you're know. holding space. Yeah. And you're, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, so th- that idea of that that whole entertainment business can be transferred into so many different spheres I suppose so many different elements like whether it's acting DJing writing podcasting you know there's absolutely and I'll, t- I'll let you in on something that I noticed along the way so when when I did like you know when I was training as an actor and I did all mm. these different courses like acting courses or acting for camera or da 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 you know that you know yeah. they were kind of short lived courses so many people so many of those participants that were doing it kind of nighttime or part time yeah. or just having a general interest were barristers and solicitors interesting isn't it you know and they were they're the ones that yeah particularly barristers that will stand up yeah. and perform yeah in court yeah, so yeah. i always thought that was really interesting actually yeah they do play a, a bit of role play yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and i've often seen you know, solicitors kind of giving out to each other in that kind of environment, but then they're the best of buddies down the road. Oh, yeah. So it's all an act. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. It, you know, it is interesting. Yeah. And even, like, I don't know, when you lecture, do you bring on a persona when you when you teach a class? Or do you... Uh, are, not like, consciously. No, maybe subconsciously it happens sometimes, does it? Maybe it's, you. yeah, maybe subconsciously you step into that role, but I, I don't go, okay, I'm going to put on my lecturing cloak yeah, now, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I think yeah. I think for me it happens in a bigger environment. Like if you're put into a space where let's say there's a couple of hundred there and you you're, mm. you don't know the the people there, then you put on a show. Yeah, it's a talk environment. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit yeah. of a difference in teaching. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like you said, if you're if you're stepping into say a conference environment or yes. you're doing something like a oh, I don't know TED talk or one of those things, yeah. then yeah, you know it's a bigger energy. It's a uh, a yeah. bit more of a performance energy. I think yeah. And like in all that time, so like with the podcast, with you know, the blog and of course the acting career, like do you go and promote yourself then? Like, you know, if you make appearances on TV mm. or, you know, you know, get interviewed with, you know, a newspaper or whatever, are you consciously kind of saying, I, I need to make sure I'm always in the public spotlight? No, I'm the opposite. Are you? I shy away from it a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I like my privacy. Yeah. I like my home life private. Yeah. Um... I like time away from that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't, uh, there's a lot of people that are, con- uh, that are, you know, I suppose always, oh, I got to get in the papers and I got to do this and yeah, I got to be staying yeah, public. Yeah. public co- I find that exhausting. Yeah. Even the thought of it. And that's just me personally. It works yeah. for other people. So, yeah. and that's, that's all good. But for me, I find it exhausting. So I would plan blocks of it. Okay. 
and I say, okay, if the podcast is coming out, if season one is coming out or season two or da 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 that I know that I can hit up a lot of different networks yeah. and PR people and, and inevitably they want they want that. Yeah. You know, and it's for me, I think it works better rather than um constantly trying to shop yourself out, mm. you know, and yeah. them them going, Oh, okay, we're back again doing another story. We don't I don't really want that. <laughs> you yeah, know, that kind of yeah, way. Yeah. So I, I don't I keep I I I yeah, I don't do that all the time. I try to live my life very privately, um, out in the woods, yeah, in the sea, yeah. You know, I so I'm living what I'm kind of doing in the blog, but if I do have to go and promote something, yes, I'll 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 do that. And are you the same when it comes to social media and stuff like that? You know, you're kind of private. Mm. You know, yeah. Some people everything that they do in their life is documented on. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. On social media, no. It's, it's just, and it's not that it's like, I'm not, I'm not hiding. Yeah. I'm not hiding anything. I just find it too exhausting to be on it the whole time. Yeah. So yeah, like when I, when I'm um, promoting the episodes of the podcast, sure, I'll put out all the snippets Mm. on that and I'll use social media in that manner. And every now and then, like if you went through my Instagram, you'll see loads of stuff to do with the podcast because that's what's been current for me in the last yeah. two, three months. But below that, there's like, I don't know, a photograph from the summer. Yeah. Maybe. And then before that, maybe another one from the, a different time. But it's all very private. Like my, you know, my family life isn't up there or any of that. Like it's, I see it as as work. Like your career is work and it's not, they're not intertwined um, the private life needs to stay separate to that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, there's elements of of your life for me that I mm. I need to keep to myself and keep private and so you just live normally. Yeah, you didn't use your acting skills to be kind of like a, a content creator or anything like that because I see some of them going down that road um, and getting huge audiences. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's amazing that they go do it. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And if, it, if that works for you, that formula works for you, amazing. Yeah, do it. It just didn't work for me. It wouldn't work for me. And in terms of then, I suppose, like, you know, with the podcast, like, what's the hopes? Is it is it to kind of continue this or is it to evolve it as time moves on? Like, what, what are you hoping for it? Um, continue it, certainly. Just yeah. about to record season two and I'm really, really excited about that. Um, some lovely, I'm not going to say who, but there's some yeah. some lovely guests um, on that. And I think grow it. Mm. Grow it as a brand. It's a beautiful brand. It's Live Wild. Um, it can go in many directions. So yeah, I think definitely continue the podcast. I see it as like, um, in a weird way, I see it as a service. Yeah. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. It's like a service that supports other things. And I, and again, I suppose with the journey that I've been on, I feel it, I see it as a service to support other people that may have been on a similar journey or are on a similar journey yeah. of self-exploration and yeah. thinking differently, you know. Yeah. So I see it as that, but also as a brand to grow and expand. And, and are you getting feedback from people? Do you get messages and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, every guest, you probably find the same. Yeah. Every guest that you interview reveals this beautiful snippet of wisdom or information. Mm. And it might just be one thing in yeah. an hour long interview. Yeah. But that one thing might just resonate with yeah. a listener. Yeah. And that's what's really interesting. Do you know? It's fascinating. People love that. They, mm. You know, because it might relate to something that's gone on in their life and mm. they've never, they think somebody else has never experienced it. Yes. You and know. when they hear a per- complete stranger saying something that resonates so deeply with them, yeah. it, can, it can actually be a complete game changer for somebody in, in, in their, on their path and yeah. in their life, you know. And like the, the name Live Oil is actually kind of cool because, you know, this idea of just let, to me, when I hear it, it's kind of like the wildness, it's, 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 it's be whatever you want to be. Mm. Take the risks. Am I right in saying that? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Take the risks, live your life, live your life wild and free, no matter what that looks like, as long as it's like um, of the highest integrity and, and, and with kindness, you know. And coinciding with that then. I presume you have aspirations in the acting world still. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like I know, I know. How do you marry the two? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, big time. Like, um, do you know? I used to see acting used to own me. Yeah. Like the career that I invested in, it felt like it owned me for quite a while. Yeah. 
it doesn't own me anymore. And that's really liberating. So I see it as fun now. And because it's fun, it's actually opened up much more opportunity for me. Do you know? Yeah. And like, as someone in that world, like, how do you get your next, next gig? Do you, do you have to audition? Like, or does some people, does casting directors knock on your door? Like, how does that work? Yeah, um, it can work any number of ways. It can work through, I mean, the last two roles, I think, were last three, four. I don't know, I can't even remember. Uh, were just straight up offers. So they just come and offer you a role and say, You fit the part of whatever they were looking yeah. for. Do you want to do this? Could be fun. Yeah. Great. Or other stuff you audition for. Mm. You could get it or not get it. So there's the traditional route of auditioning, which still, I mean, everyone auditions really still. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter yeah. kind of, um, unless you're Colin Farrell or someone who's, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on that level. Yeah. Um, or it can come through friends. You know, you build a network within. Filmmaking, yeah, and and well, we, do you want to do this project together? This could be nice. Yeah, okay, let's do that. So you're both bringing something to the table, and you're bringing a bit of weight to it, or so it can come in many ways. Like with all the the, the hype around this country at the moment, with with the Oscars and you know mm. the Banshees and you know Paul Mescal and there's a lot of other stuff happening as well. Mm. Uh, that TG Cahar film, I think, as well. Like that obviously helps, does it? Oh, it's amazing. Like you know, outside of Ireland, what's seen here is that it's um, Ireland has one of the high the most highly trained crews available in Europe yeah and there are studio you can't get a studio booking in Ireland meaning like the big studios that make things like the Vikings or before that it was the Tudors or up north it was um, the Game of Thrones Game of Thrones there's a studio in Limerick that that, um, it's booked solid it's booked solid. It's incredible. It, it Like the film and TV industry is absolutely flourishing in Ireland. Netflix come make stuff here. Apple come, they come and make stuff here. Disney come make stuff here. Yeah. You know, it's incredible. It really is. It's a huge, 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 huge machine here. And it's, that's happened in the last decade, I'll say. So streaming has been good for this country, actually. Totally opened it all up. Totally opened everything up. Because before that... If you wanted to make TV in Ireland, you were really going to our national broadcaster. And yeah. they're, they're limited in what they can do with yeah. their funding, you know. Um, and as much as a support as they are, um, like I said, they're limited. So Yeah, when you've seen the success as well, like, I mean, obviously there was a the talk of the Oscars, but then just before Christmas, Bad Sisters on Apple, Brilliant. you know, it was yeah. a, hu- a huge success. And I know they're bringing out a second series of that. Yeah. You know, so... Who knows, there's, you know, there's potential. I know Graham Norton's thing was done for ITV, which is, did they have ITVX, which is a kind of a player type of thing as well. And yeah, there's, yeah. you know, it's... It's it's like the Wild West, I think, at the moment. There's so much, there's a lot of, um, in the sense that you can tap into a lot of so, so there's probably a, bots. <laughs> there's probably a proper industry for young actors and actresses now, is there? It feels like there is, yeah. It feels like there is. You don't necessarily have to get your bag and... Go to the UK anymore. Yeah, yeah I don't think so. I don't think so. That does like, actually work. Yeah, like I, I, was, I was always making that decision when I graduated. Do I go to the UK and become a small fish in a big pond or do I stay in Ireland and try to become a bigger fish in a small pond? Yeah. So I made the decision to stay even though I was totally unknown at that point. Yeah. Um, I made the decision to stay because I felt that it was... More viable for me. But it worked out because if you think that bigger fish in the small pond actually then crossed over to the, the bigger pond. Yes. And then if you're going in an underground in London and someone recognises you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it worked for me in that so way. So it's, it's an interesting strategy. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. And it's not going to be the same for everybody, you know. Yeah. It's everyone has to find, like I said, there's no, there's no real blueprint as an actor, I don't think, yeah. you know, n- not really. And do you think some people give it up too early maybe because they haven't had success at a young age? And yeah. I do. Talented I do. people? Yeah, I do. I do because I think, um, and, I, and this is something I always say to my students as well. First of all, I say to them, um, um, there's no business like show business. So what's the word that sticks out twice to you? And the word is business. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to treat yourself as a business, yeah. as, a, as a self-employed. Um, yeah. You need to treat yourself like you're, you are your business. Yeah. So you are a brand like. You are a brand and you are your business. Yeah. Um, and you need to learn everything to do with business. I think that, I think the ones that have become successful are actually have this entrepreneurial streak. Yeah, and they're able to survive when things are a bit lean. Yeah, and get and then get themselves to the next level. 
Because they do other things? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it was like me DJing, supporting yeah. myself financially with DJing and other stuff as well. Like, But that also put you in circles with people from the arts. Mm-hmm. That possibly opened other doors as well. Yeah, yeah, it would have done. Yeah, it kept me in that kind of creative industry, definitely, yeah. Even, you know, people, you know, involved in radio stations or whatever, they're also connected to TV stations. They're, everyone is inter- in, in a small country like we have. Everyone's kind of... Interconnected in interconnected. some way. Interconnected. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And like you said about the business, so like, do do all actors operate as sole traders or how, how does that work? Like, you're not employed by the companies, really. No, you see, you're not. So you're a sole trader. Yeah. So you're set up as a sole trader. Even if you have an agent, you're yeah. still a sole trader because you're not employed by an agent or you're not an employee of an agent. You know, they search for work on your behalf. They get doors open for you. I always think when, and again, something I always say, I always think when you think of the word agent, put the word sales in front of it. Mm. And what are they selling? They're selling you. And mm. that's a positive thing. People get a bit icky about agents, you know, yeah. but they're not. They're amazing. Generally, most of them are really, really good. And what they do is they get the doors open for you, for you to get seen. And then they negotiate on your behalf and they take their cut. Yeah. They're a sales agent, but you have to bring the product. You are the product. So how do you do that? Do you make show reels of yourself or do you get a photo shoot done? Or like, uh, what yeah. Happened? I mean, it starts really with like, okay, you have your training, you have your headshot, you know, you have um, CV, get a really good headshot because the headshot is the first thing that sells you. Yeah. So a professional headshot, something really, really, really good and spend yeah. the money on that. Show reels are a bit sticky because I always think it's like a chicken and egg type thing. Mm. When you have enough good footage for a show reel is when you're not going to need a show reel anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that's always a bit of a sticky one. So the image is actually nearly more important than the show reel. I think so. Yeah. I think so. You know, and and you know, um, I would have said it's unfortunately an image image based industry, but mm. at the same time, it doesn't matter what your image is. Mm. That's cracked open too, which is amazing. You don't have to look a certain way anymore. Generally, you know, whereas like maybe a decade ago or fifteen years ago or for back, yeah. you did, particularly as females, you did. And actually, if you look a bit different, it might actually be in your favour nowadays, would it? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think, like, as an actor, being yourself is the most powerful thing that you can be. Yeah. You know, like like people like people think, they forget about the whole agent and all of that stuff. You mm. know, I'd imagine most of your time is nearly on ad- admin rather than actually playing roles, is it? like? Yeah, and self-tapes. Yeah. So like, I mean, self-tapes were starting before the pandemic. So that is like, okay, an audition comes in through your agent. They'll say to you, here's like five pages of a script. Yeah. Turn around a self-tape within 48 hours. So you have to do maybe three scenes. It's just you and the camera in a room. That's it. Yeah. And you send it to them. Goes back to your agent, goes from your agent to the casting director. And so that was really starting to happen anyway before the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, everything, now everything is a self-tape. I haven't been in a room with a casting director, apart from socially having a drink. Yeah. In, well, four years, maybe. The good thing from them, though, for their point of view, is that they can look at it again and again. Whereas you can't if that's just, if someone comes into a room. Yeah. They it's, have to go off memory. It's and it's well, they record it. So if you go oh, into oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So if, if you go into an audition, they record the audition yeah. anyway, so they can go back and look at it. But it just it's it's um, time saving for them, mm. you know, and because it's, it's very time consuming for them to be sitting. So like you get your first round self tape, you might get a job based on that, or you might have to do a second round, or you might have to do a zoom, or then you might get into the room with them. It depends on what they're looking for, yeah. or or you know, there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to. Um, Jobs. Yeah. So it's not it's not as straightforward as just t- turning up to a show and here we go and you no. know I think no. there's loads of steps involved in the process. Yeah, tons. yeah, and people probably don't think about all of that and they don't think about the crew involved in the shows. And yeah, but even from the actor's point of view, like that's where you spend an actor spend a lot of their time doing self tapes. Yeah, you know because you have to learn all that text. Yeah, so like that comes down to a fine art. So like. You know, often I would get an audition that would come in and it's like eight pages that you have to turn around within maybe 48 hours. And you've got other life stuff. For me, I've got kids, you know, so I've got life stuff going on within that 48 hours that I kind of go, okay, I've got eight pages to learn Mm. and perform and then do a self-tape and send it off. So you have to be, that's that's where your skill set comes in as an actor of like learning eight pages in an hour. (laughs) And you know, when you're doing a show, um, 
like how do you learn off all the words like do you do it day by day because like, yeah yeah you just uh, I mean there's different ways you that every, every actor will have a different way of learning lines yeah I just read them over and over and over and over I could read them a hundred times and you're not it doesn't feel like you're learning yeah. it doesn't feel like you're shoving them into your brain so but, you do a read through a good few times with other cast members as well you would do really one read through Only with one. every um, theatre is different to film yeah you do one read through in film or TV with everyone's around the table and you'd read like the whole film together or the whole series together whereas in theatre you do loads oh yeah I mean you're you're working in that you know kind of yeah. space for three four weeks before you go on stage yeah whereas as an actor you have, you get one day yeah. of everyone sitting around a table together and you read everything and then you go off on, on your own and do the work on your own and then you come back in on set. So you're really lucky to get like a few hours of rehearsal for TV and for film. And do you ever it. go into a scenario where you just freeze on the spot then? Like not remember? <laughs> There's a few times when I wouldn't remember but I wouldn't freeze, I just laugh. Would you put in other words? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You do that a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. you have the script editor. Yeah. Like, Hillary, that's not the line, really. Okay, we we'll try it again. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I've done that with singing over the years. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that happens. That happens, everybody, though. You know, because yeah. you're tired. Like, there's, you yeah. know, they're they're long days. They're, you know, eight, um, you know, maybe twelve hour days. Really, by the time you're done, kind of ten, twelve hour. They're days. used to that happening. I'd imagine. Uh, you know, cast members or whatever. If someone miss, messes up the line, it's okay. We're going to do it again. Oh like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. like on average, like w- more scenes are probably done a good few times anyway. There, absolutely, they're done. You know, you'd have a wide angle, then you have say if there's three people in a scene, yeah. you have a wide angle, then you have a single shot on one person, single shot on another person, single shot on another yeah. person. So you're doing it repeatedly from all different angles. And if it's an action sequence, that's even longer. Again, if it's comedy, it's always longer as well. Drama is much more straightforward to yeah. shoot. So, yeah, you, yeah. you want to have patience. A lot of patience. A lot of patience. And would you like to get into film more? I know you, you obviously did Young Offenders, but yeah. it's been kind of TV. You've been synonymous with the last few years now. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do film again. It's nice. It feels like a kind of um, neater mm. uh, in the sense that it's a, it's you could do a film for three weeks and be done. Well, you would, know, yeah. Would they finish? Well, yeah, three to four yeah. weeks, depending on the film. If it's a yeah. big, massive, like action flick or whatever, you know, you could be six months at it or yeah. something. But yeah. generally, like the smaller indies, you're doing it kind of maybe three, four weeks, maybe six weeks yeah. for a film. Whereas if you do a TV series, again, depending on the TV series, you could be anywhere from two months to six months to nine months of the year. Yeah. You know, so that's um, yeah, film film's nice. <laughs> it's tidier. And would you like to kind of go beyond this country or will you wait and see, like, you know, would you like to do projects abroad, like in the US or somewhere like that? Or? Oh, yeah. At some point, like my kids are small, so yeah. I'm conscious as well that yeah. they're small. I think I'll save all that stuff to when they're older. They're older, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, for now, I'm happy to just film in Ireland, maybe the UK max. But yeah, until the kids are older, I'll stay here. And do the podcast and stuff. And, and in, do the podcast. Yeah. Do, I guess that's the thing. Like I want to grow my brand, you know, live wild. So that's tricky if you're being taken off onto big projects for like six, nine months. That takes yeah. a lot out of the year, you know. Um, and speaking of growing brands, I usually finish the podcast with, with three questions. Mm-hmm. So okay. the first one's going to be interesting for you because <laughs> I think people don't perceive um, actors as, uh, as businesses. But mm-hmm. um, what tip would you give let's say, a business in the entertainment industry um, to grow, you know, any type of business in the inter- entertainment industry. Oh, my goodness, to grow. I think networking yeah? is always helpful. And networking, even the word makes me feel a little bit icky sometimes because it feels like you, you go into a social uh, setting with an agenda. So yeah. that's not necessarily, I don't really like to work that way, but I yeah. think the more people that you know and that you know are decent and that you want to work with, I think that's what expands the business. I think it's genuine connections between people is what extant, expands yeah. businesses and conversation and communication. I think that's it. Yeah, because sometimes people think of networking that you're the, the dodgy salesperson coming in pitching their stuff, you know. Yeah. And it's not that really at all. Not for most. You know, no. not for most people, it's not. Yeah, it, I think, and I think that's where, you know, if you come in kind of, you know, 
hand on your heart going, right, I need to, I, or I'm looking to expand my business. Yeah. How can we connect? How, you know, do you yeah. have an idea? Do I have an yeah. idea? And I think the same is in the film industry because, because you can have, you know, filmmakers that are off in their own world, essentially, which they are creating a world yeah. and they, and, and it's a very, um, it's a very isolated world that they can be in. Yeah. Between scripting, you're mm. writing a script on your own. Then you go into production where you've got your team. And mm. then you go into post-production, which is basically another office where you're in there with an editor and doing everything else. It's quite insular. Yeah. So I think to expand a business is to step outside of that and to, you know, communicate with others, definitely. The second question I have is what tip would you give an individual? And I'm thinking, no, might be a couple of students listening to this that are mm. maybe have an interest in the arts, maybe something along those lines, the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. What tip would you give them? I think if you want to go into the entertainment industry, I'm going to say it as a, from a performer's point of view. Yeah. I think you need to have, again, go, go back to what am I selling? Mm. Yeah. And so with that, you need to have a skill set. Mm. That's the very foundation. And yeah. the skill set is training. I'm training as an actor. I'm yeah. training as a singer. I'm training yeah. as a dancer. And yeah. to get, to be the, not to be the best that you can be, but to give it your best shot. So what you go, the product that you go to sell is a really good product. Yeah. You know, I'm a really good performer. I, yeah. I do theatre really well. I do Shakespeare really well or whatever yeah. it might yeah. be, you know. And do you think they have to kind of take chances at the beginning? Do they kind of need to just do stuff? Um, and, and worry less about the money at the start. Yeah, I think so. That being said, I think there comes to a, comes a point, and I remember this, you know, starting out as a young actor where I would work for free as an actor. Mm. Um, and then it came to a stage and, 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 and it was a self-realisation and I went, as long as I continue to work for free, I mm. will be employed for free. Yeah. And the second I put a price tag on my skill set, mm is the second other people will start recognising yeah. that it's a skill set that's worth paying for. Yeah. And inevitably, you won't work for a while until you transition from one to the other. Yeah. But that's okay. And that's the decision that I made and that's what worked. It was just a decision that I made. I'm yeah. not going to work for free anymore. At some stage, everyone has to make that decision because we can't, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. unless it's a hobby. Yeah, exactly. And that's different. That's different. That's very different. You've made a conscious decision that this is only something part-time. Yeah, and you know, whatever else you do pays the bills full-time. Yeah, 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 you're Mm -hmm. doing it for your passion. Mm -hmm. So the last question I have is in relation with the show sponsor, Skillsbase. I'm I'm looking in particular at the acting industry. What's the one skill you think is essential to be an actor? Ooh, that's a nice question. I can take it in many different ways. Yeah. I would say curiosity. Curiosity? I think so. Yeah. Um, To kind of learn more about the role? Yeah, character. Like, as as any artist, like even if you're, we'll say, a textile artist mm. or whatever it might be. Yeah. Curiosity yeah. will actually open up something within your practice that may not have been there before. Yeah. For example, I wonder if I used this material on this, what would it look like? Yeah. And as an actor, I wonder if I explored this part of the character this way yeah. instead of that way what yeah. would that look like yeah so curiosity is maybe what I would say so from that like imagination must play a huge role mm. in acting does it yeah absolutely yeah yeah you're you're kind of visioning the whole scene at the same time mm. in your mind yeah 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 big time and what that person if it was a character in real life what they would be doing what they would be doing everything from how they tie their shoelace to I always look at characters through the eye, through the lens of like a um, quirks. I like to look at people's quirks. Yeah. And so I, I sometimes build whole characters just around a quirk that I would have noticed in somebody that I think is interesting. And like when you were playing that role that you became synonymous with in Young Offenders, mm. did you look at young mothers around the place and the challenges that they were facing? And, yeah. 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 Kind of just kind of get a feel for them and then trying to put yourself in their shoes. Absolutely. And I think that's like, she's quite an angry character. Yeah. Um, which I think is interesting because I think there was probably um, anger within certain characters, 
like a feeling of unfairness of yes. the situation they found themselves in. Like nothing's fair. Mm. And that that's kind of where she came from, you know. But but doing her best. But lots of love there at the same time. Oh, all based in love. Yeah. You know, all based in love. Like love for um, her loss, love for her son, mm. love for her son's best friend who's causing trouble. No matter what, she took him in. You know, so... And that scene where she had to rush into the house. And rescue him. Yeah. yeah. All based in love. Yeah. I yeah. think I even had a tear to my own eye when I watched that one, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's a good episode. Yeah. yeah. But so that's... You're kind of thinking about all that when it happens. Like oh, yeah. When you're, when you're... Before you act that out. Yeah. Yeah. You Like as an actor, you'd have... Well, hopefully you would have your groundwork done. Yeah. Knowing who the character is inside yeah. out before you even step into the script or whatever else, you know. Yeah, have to have a solid picture of who or he or she is. It's a fascinating world. Like, <laughs> you know, like for me, like, you know, we're all lucky enough to sit down and watch a, a TV show or a film and we often don't think of the preparation, mm. the time, the effort. That's okay though. That's what an audience you know, member is there for. Great, but it's, you know, it's nice to get that story and, you know, it's been a fascinating conversation. And um, Likewise, thank you. Thanks a million for coming in, Hilary. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. That wraps up this week's podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Skillsbase app, which is a solutions provider for companies looking for mobile-first engagement and blended learning tools. To find out more information on what they can do, visit skillsbase.ie. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and get in contact with us on all social platforms. I will be back again next week with a brand new episode.